FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 146 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason. I was new wave before my time, Venable. Now I'm joined once again by flashback co-host Cameron, Marvel Picture Frame Sinclair. What's up everybody? Hey! In person. In person, yes. First time in a while. We are in the same room at the same table. Picking each other's noses. <laughs> oh, please, please, thank you. <laughs> Have a seat. <laughs> our live studio audience. Once again. Yes. Before our live studio audience. Like an 80 sitcom. But yeah, we're here. We're going to talk about Mutant Mask. <clears throat> yeah, we're... <laughs> I'm going to leave all this in. <laughs> I, I have a lot of trouble saying the word mutant if I don't really slow down and say it. That's a real problematic for a person with a mutant <laughs> podcast. Yeah, it is. It is. But we're going to talk about Mutant Massacre <laughs> in a special flashback episode. Flashback! That's right. The king does it better than me. <laughs> but before we get to the uh, classic, epic, I guess mutant event, but there's not really like any banners on the covers or anything or any specific reading order, which by the way, the reading order I'm going by is the one on the Marvel Comics reading order website, which you can Google. I saw a couple of different orders, but this one made the most sense to me, and actually reading it, it worked. So, for the most part, there's one tie-in that doesn't really tie in very well at all, so it doesn't really matter where you put it, but (laughs) we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. And, also preface this, I don't know whether this will be one big epic episode or whether it'll be two episodes or just kind of see how the conversation goes so we're not going to limit ourselves but we're not going to like try to fluff it out either so there you go yeah it's going to be a la naturel organic yes in the buff percent organic we are totally naked no antibiotics or hormones (laughs) a pig in a cage on antibiotics Thinner, happier, <laughs> more productive. <laughs> All right, but... I don't know how many people even remember that. Get everybody that should get that. You'd think so, but... Best band ever. We're old now. <laughs> and we are kind of old, yeah. <laughs> but before we get to the comics, we have our first ever email. <laughs> 146 episodes in... <laughs> Is that really the first time anyone's ever... I've had lots of Facebook and and Twitter like questions and comments. This is the first Snickcast at Yahoo email. That's funny. And it is regarding episode 143, and it is from Reginald Tyrannicus. All right. So, Reggie, hope you enjoy the podcast. Oh, he's gone because we told people to write in their their dinosaur name, didn't we? Yes. (laughs) Did we do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think way back in episode 12. Yeah, that was a while back, but... Cause it, yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Wait, are you being serious? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were doing a bit. I was just going along with you. No, didn't we? Didn't we do this? Or am I? Am I thinking of something I, different? I don't know. We told people to send in dating advice, which is not in here, Reginald. Uh, I'm thinking of something else. Come on, Never man. Mind. No, <laughs> I'm getting, 
This is real egomaniac stuff. I'm getting us confused with the cast of How Did This Get Made? Wow. Well, we, we <laughs> oh, are fine. at their level. Because <laughs> they did a... What did they do that? The movie with the dinosaur that's like a cop or something? <laughs> with uh, Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah, yeah. That one. <laughs> and so they were, they were having everyone stand up and say... And say their name, and for whatever reason, I I remembered that, and I thought that was us talking. Well, you know, in the podcast hierarchy, it is how did that get made? Yeah. The podcast that goes snicked, a few others, maybe comedy bang bang down around there. Yeah. And so history we, banter at the very bottom. No, no, no. Y'all are like three. <laughs> no, our site shut down right now. So again, I I think Brad transferred the website, and I I need to pay uh, somebody for something. So you got ninety nine problems, and the internet is all of them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, back to our fancy smancy email. Schmancy. Our our snail mail. Sorry, Reginald Tyrannicus. Yes. Sorry. Your email. Yes. But you may shorten your arms and put your crown back on. <laughs> um, but he says, or it it says, no. Um, it's, <laughs> I like to eat people. <laughs> no one's ever going to email again. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, rabbit chasing. Okay. All right. Reginald says, hey there. I'm assuming that's how he talks. Sure. Hey there. In episode 143... You and Denise were talking about the weird color changes from the mid-1980s. Not sure about that specific Alpha Flight issue, but in the mid-80s, the comic industry began the transition to digital color. Guessing the early efforts probably were less than amazing. Sent from my iPhone. Hmm. Yeah, well, so it's funny that we talk about that because that is something we kind of talked about. Kind of the, um, they were less than amazing. That's, it's cool to know that that was kind of a first stab at digital coloring. That's interesting. Uh, I feel like that first stab went kind of flat. And I will say it's interesting because even even if you look at the same colors, like for example, our, our kind of official ex-colorist, uh, Glennis Oliver, if you look at books she was doing concurrently, like for example, what she colors in the New Mutants issue on this episode, which we'll kind of barely talk about. But that coloring is very digital looking, or if this is right, the digital process. But on Uncanny, she's still doing the more traditional, which I think looks fuller. Yeah. It definitely looks old, I guess, but the colors are more complex and they, they make a more, it's almost more realistic in a way, even though it's yeah. less realistic. But yeah, it's interesting. And... Just looking at, at comics specifically from like 85, 86, it's interesting the books they chose to try that on. Because this Avengers looks that way, Captain America, I guess New Mutant, stuff like that. But your two big books, Uncanny X-Men and Amazing Spider-Man, still carry their traditional coloring for quite a ways after that. Yeah, that would make sense. So I just thought that was kind of interesting that just the way they decided to do that. But thank you very much, Reginald, for emailing in. And I would encourage anybody else to email. And we obviously take those very seriously. <laughs> That's right. Just, let's have a moment of silence. You have, uh, you have brought enlightenment to our podcast. No, but I really do appreciate the input. That is very interesting about the colors because I didn't know that they had digital color application back in 85. I didn't either. And it obviously has a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. it's, but it is interesting to know that it's there. So, that said, I think we should talk about some mutant massacre. Let's what do you think? do it. All right. Here we go. Oh, before we get there, though, I will at least mention every issue. We won't necessarily talk about 
every issue because Wolverine's not in all of them. So. Yeah. Oh, were you going to go through and tell them up front all the, the reading order? Oh, yeah. You I, know, thought that's what, I thought that's what you were getting. Oh, okay. Earlier. Yeah, I'm, maybe I was. All right, <laughs> so if you don't want to Google it yourself because you're lazy, then that's understandable. Yeah, well, maybe you're driving and listening to this car and you can't. True. You can't. Yeah. You should not Google and drive. You should not Google and drive. Unless you're at a stoplight and you don't want to just sit there like a chump, so you got to get on your phone. No, where'd it go? I lost it. (laughs) Oh, here it is. I don't like the new uh, page shuffling on the iPhone. Anyway, so the official order that we're going by... No, that's not it. (laughs) F me. Oh, brother. All right, you know what? You know what? You'll get it when we go. All right, it's Uncanny X-Men 210. 210. X Factor 9. 9. Uncanny X Men 211. X Factor 10. Noticing a pattern? Yeah. Then we break it. New Mutants number 46. 46. Thor. I'm sorry. The Mighty Thor number 373. Thor. Power Pack 27. Uncanny X Men 212. The Mighty Thor 374. X Factor 11. Daredevil 238. And Uncanny X Men 213. And just as a general rule, there's maybe Spider-Man omitted from this this kind of rule. But basically, and not to spoil the plot too much, but anyone who has any coincidental contact with the Morlocks gets dragged into the story. <laughs> yeah. So other than Spider-Man, so that's just that that seems to be kind of the rule for this crossover and and what books they decided to include. You know, it's weird. And you said a second ago about how there's no banner or anything. This is a really big crossover event. It is because it. I didn't even realize because I didn't read a lot of the the other the non X Men issues, and I didn't realize how big of a crossover it was. Pulling in Thor and, and Daredevil, yeah. stuff like that. And so it's weird that there wasn't a bigger deal made from this. Right. You would. I mean, I'm glad it wasn't its own miniseries. Yeah, like definitely. a Secret War type thing. I'm glad it took place in Uncanny. Right. Right. And, and honest, I mean, we'll talk about various opinions and stuff as we go through but but the real meat of the story is in in the four issues of uncanny but the tie-ins have various levels of relevancy so but yeah yeah it's a pretty pretty big deal and that's why i don't know if we'll get through it all in one episode or not but we're gonna try we're gonna try optic blast blazing and claws popped so let's try this again here we go Mutant Massacre. We're back live from the news desk in the Morlock Tunnels. <laughs> Smell something? <laughs> Smells like a massacre. That's awful. <laughs> All right, so first up from our, our very uh, streamlined, professionally delivered reading order, we have Uncanny X-Men number 210. This is the morning after. Don't say a prayer for me now. Save it till the morning after. Yep. All right. This is written by Chris Claremont. Uh, Art is by John Romita Jr. And Dan Green. Glennis Oliver does the colors. Tom Orzikowski does the letters. And our cover is by John Romita Jr. and Bob Wyacek. And basically, we have the X-Men standing around looking tough with a big... Come on, mess with us. Make our day. But you know Wolverine's the one saying it. Yeah. Okay. He even has his Clint Eastwood cigar. He's got his claws out. I love this cover. I will admit the X-Men. So it's Wolverine and Colossus in the front. And then Storm, Nightcrawler, Rogue, and Kitty in the back. 
And the X-Men in the background is not the best drawing, but Wolverine and Colossus look amazing, and the color work on the whole thing is really good. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. And I remember in my mind's eye, whether this is actually true or not, I cannot verify, but um, I'm pretty sure that this was a poster on the wall at Austin Comics back when we were a kid. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And I just remember just seeing this really big and being like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I dig this cover quite a bit, no matter how silly Kitty looks. <laughs> well, the, the, the ones in the background, they look. it looks to me like an 80s teenage movie poster. Like, they just look like brooding teenagers. Yeah. It's, you know, the era and what they're probably trying to go for. Right. Especially Nightcrawler, who looks like Kirk Cameron. <laughs> He kind of does. About that curly hair, almost mullet. I wonder if he has a banana. Good question. <laughs> he hasn't met that Australian guy yet. So. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Those are references almost no one will get. <laughs> Google it. Just keep on moving. Google Kirk Cameron's banana, but don't <laughs> don't uh, Google image. Yeah, yeah. Just. <laughs> I I can't. I have no idea what might come up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so I think it's a really cool cover. <laughs> And I think it's poster-worthy, so... I agree. All right, so basically, to kick off our event, the Marauders kill a Hellfire Club mutant lackey, but his rainbow-bright girlfriend hops a train and gets away. Dazzler is now a brunette. Rogue is searching the city for Rachel, but takes the T.O. for a pretty woman shopping montage. (laughs) Mad Men's genophobic Roger Sterling threatens to call (laughs) X-Factor. Ileana uh, gives old costume Colossus some kitty advice. Speaking of kitty, she fixes Cerebro to help look for Rachel and Nightcrawler. Remember after the whole, um, what's the pink gobot? Nimrod. Nimrod. After that whole fiasco, the, the Rachel has disappeared. She went to the, the body shopping, and Nightcrawler um, either w- teleported away or was disintegrated. We're yeah. not sure. So anyway, so they're trying to find him. The Hellfire Club offer Magneto the chance to be White King. A union is suggested in light of growing anti-mutant hysteria. Kitty, Colossus, and Magic find Nightcrawler, who can't teleport, but they rescue him from an angry anti-mutant mob with their words instead of their fist. Very after-school special. Very, yeah. Uh, Wolverine and Storm track Rachel to where her trail literally disappears. Storm and Wolverine have a great heart-to-heart. We end where we began. The Marauders followed Rainbow Bright home to the Morlocks so they could kick off the Mutant Massacre! Dun-dun-dun! Yeah, so I don't have a lot of individual comments on this one. You have anything you want to talk about? Um, I was gonna say that the what is the the Morlock name? What's her name? The Rainbow Bright Girl. Yeah, I don't know if they ever say it. Oh, maybe not. I was gonna say she looks like one of those multicolor crayons. They have all this big, big crayons. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's swirled can, together. Yeah, you can kind of twist it to different different colors. That's what she looks like to me. And her power was to flatten herself, which I thought was very strange. <laughs> yeah, you would and think the, it would be rainbow really. The new wave before my time comment, I found that pretty hilarious. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty funny. But yeah, otherwise... Well, <laughs> you mentioned that, and I didn't think about this until just now. But Colossus is in his old costume because he ripped all of his new yeah. ones. Right. So is he now going to start sweeping in this costume since he always rips his PJs? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> All right, well, so um, 
And I have a little bit more to say about the, the end conversation. But um, okay. what do you think of the art in this issue? I didn't like it very much. Really? I thought it was pretty good. There were, there, I mean, overall, it's not bad. But I think the the Rainbow Bright is conceptually not very cool. And a lot of the faces, the, the first part is okay, but like Storm or Rogue, I mean, which she's supposed to look rough because that's the point of the story. But even when she gets fixed up, she looks really crazy. <laughs> well, when she gets made up, she looks like crazy televangelist wife. Yeah. And then um, Colossus looks like he's eight when he is later. If you look at that one panel, he looks like an eight-year-old for some reason, drawing him like a little kid. Oh, yeah. And I'm not, I can see that. All right. I, I didn't hate it. It's just in, in the, the, uh, the last, you know, as we've been going... This one just, I didn't think it was as good as it's been lately. Okay. Well, we're going to be a little bit on opposite sides of the fence on that, Mm. Um, which is fine. Uh, The story, there's a lot here. Uh, We kind of went through it pretty quickly in our summary, but there's a lot of great stuff. There's some silly stuff, too, like Dazzler, who I never care about. Never. And, And the shopping spree is weird. It is weird. But the Morlocks, pretty much hidden from our sight are pretty intimidating and pretty menacing. And it's kind of the, the Jaws thing. You know, they're doing bad stuff, but you can't see them. Right. And it makes them kind of more scary. And it was kind of after school, but I didn't feel like the mob felt too forced. No, no, I was a good... I, I'm just joking about it being yeah. after school. I thought it was really good. And I really loved Colossus in this issue. You really see kind of his artistic, peaceful heart. Like, he was really trying to be kind of the noble spirit. Right. And it's tangible in this issue in a way that it hasn't been for him in a while. Yeah, um, which I, I really enjoyed. Magneto as the White King is actually a really cool concept. We're not going to get a whole lot of that in Uncanny. That mostly plays into New Mutants, which I've never, you know, like like I've said before, Cameron and I are the two X-Men fans of our age who didn't really read New Mutants. Yeah. Of the thousands, we're the two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... You know, it kind of has me intrigued to kind of find out more about how that plays out. Because that's a really interesting concept to me. Yeah. And then, so let's, let's talk about the Wolverine and Storm at the end. Because Wolverine doesn't show up to the very end. And let's do a little, let's do a little uh, role play. You want to be Wolverine or Storm? Sure. Where are we at? Uh, page 21. Uh, okay. I don't care. What do you want to be? I'll, okay. be? I'll be Storm. Okay. All right. So they're just, they're at the theater where Rachel disappeared, where she went to the body shopping. Um, Alright, this is where Rachel's trail leads, Storm. This is where it ends. You say she is lost, Wolverine. She's gone, boss, where the X-Men can't follow. Is there nothing we can do? Snicked. I figured I did enough. Snapped when I nearly killed her. She was trying to murder the Black Queen. Should I have let her? It should have never come to that. (laughs) The X-Men are a team, Logan. (laughs) I do not object to your attempting to stop Rachel, but you should not have done so alone. Had I, had all the X-Men been there, she might still be with us, instead of vanished goddess knows where. And if we are a team, my friend, and I am this leader, I must have your trust, and when required, your obedience. All my life, darling, I've been a loner. Then walk away before more harm is done. We cannot afford a next time the stakes have grown too high. We'll depend on you, Wolverine. You must be there. I will be. To the end. And <laughs> yeah. see. And curtain. You got decidedly more Scottish as you went. 
<laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> You're gonna let it happen. <laughs> I was trying to sound um, goddessy. Well, you, I don't know. You started off with kind of the animated series, <laughs> like the X Men yeah. cartoon kind of flat storm voice, but then you you went a little little well, high. She got emotional. And so that's true. Was, that's true. You got a little more highfalutin. Yeah. <laughs> and of course they hold hands at the end but I really really like this scene and this conversation um, it kind of shows where Storm stands on the whole kind of events of the past few issues and she doesn't entirely blame Wolverine for what happened yeah but she's also you know makes a good point though like if you instead of just running off half cocked or half clawed or whatever right. if you had gotten us we could have all gone and tried to fix the situation well, um, it, it allows her to to um, to not support the fact that he stabbed Rachel in the stomach right but also not say you were wrong for that just to say that situation was wrong it right. shouldn't have got to the point where you needed to kill her to save anybody anybody and, yeah. and, and of course we, as we discussed last time the fact that he's saving a murderer makes it all that much worse but right but I will say this conversation though makes me appreciate that arc with Rachel more because we talked about last time that we thought it maybe would have been a better story if she had just fought the X-Men yeah but this this makes where they went a little better to me yeah yeah I, so. I agree it gives it more of a more impact I think more right effect. yeah and of course Wolverine swears to always be an X-Man um, that's pretty cool and it just, I don't know, it goes a long way towards their relationship as well, which the Storm-Wolverine relationship is one that I like a lot. It's one of my favorite comic relationships. Yeah. Um, you know, right up there with Wolverine Nightcrawler and stuff. So, yeah, I thought I, was, I, thought I really enjoyed it. All right, well, so anything else on Uncanny 210? Um, I really like the very last panel. Even though it's super cartoony, but just a giant boom that fills up the whole oh, yeah. tunnel. I thought that, that was is pretty cool. cool. And then next massacre. You're correct in that it uh, it's an interesting comic because it has a really great backstory, like the bat the main plot that's going, and then, but you have a couple of kind of random silly things in there. Right. Uh, did you want to say more about the kitty in the the mob? I thought you said you were going to say more about the conversation. Oh. Or you were talking about Wolverine Storm. Yeah, I was talking about Wolverine Storm. Okay. No, I mean, the, the mob part I liked, I felt like it was a nice kind of turn that they tried to, like, talk them out of it. And yeah. it never got too, like, preachy or whatever. Yeah. Like, I, wanted, I mean, conversations like that in comics and TV shows are never, like, 100% natural. Right. But it felt natural enough. Yeah, well, and, and it was way better than the the previous one with Kitty where she says the N-word and tries yes. to make it out race. <laughs> yeah. and, it was a, and it just got weird. Yeah. This one, I thought it, she did a really good job of of, uh, of explaining, I think, to the crowd. And they did a good job of kind of showing the crowd, you know, realizing, hey, you know, this we are out of control. Right. Yeah, no, I liked it. Yeah. And I thought the thing with Storm saving the guy and then the guy comes to defend her against John Slattery. I mean, Rogue... Rogue, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the dress-up scene, I was just going to mention that because it, it was just so 80s. It, just the it idea was. of going to have a dress-up montage. Pretty woman. It was so funny. Walking down the street. But yeah, so yeah, it's, it's good. Good, uh, good comic overall. Yeah. Definitely made me want to keep reading, certainly, to get to the next one. Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right, well... So we had a little bit different feelings on the art. Let's see how that plays into our grades. 
When are you going to grade Uncanny X-Men 210? Um, I'm going to go five. Well, then that makes sense. I'm going to go six out of six claws. There were a couple little things I didn't care about, yeah. but I felt like the rest was so strong. And since I did like the art a little better than you, I just thought it was a really, really good comic. I'm super stoked about the story. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a page turner for sure. So, high marks all around. Exactly. All right, well, next up is X-Factor number nine. And um, basically, there's a pretty cool old Mark Silvestri cover. Nice, that is cool. Yeah, and you know, it's an early cover in his career. And um, really all you need to know about this one is it explains why X-Factor goes down into the tunnels. They're chasing after uh, Rusty and Skids, and then Artie. <laughs> Rusty Skids. <laughs> Rusty Skids, yeah. In, in their underpants. <laughs> and his costumes are tight. You get a lot of uh, wedgie pants. Yeah. But, um, 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 yeah, so then Artie, who's one of the warlocks, or no, he's, I'm sorry, he was some dude's mad scientist's son, and they rescued him, and he's been staying with X Factor, and he goes after. The other kids, while X Factor's gone, and then they come back and like, oh no, we gotta go save the kids. So they go down in the tunnels to find them. That's really, right. really the only takeaway you need from from X Factor number nine. One thing I'll say about it is looking at the cover and the art. It well, makes me. It makes me when I. It's gonna sound like such a such a guy in his thirties thing to say, but it's like this is like to me this is comic book art. Because it makes me think of like the '90s of when right. I really got the, into comics. the early '90s, right before Image. Yeah, and you think yeah. about Mark Silvestri and Jim Lee and, and yeah. all those guys. Like, this is the kind of art that I remember. That when I see, I get excited because it makes me think of comics. Yes, and I so agree. I, I seeing that at this early of a of a point in the comic read is kind of exciting for me. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really cool. And of course, Silvestri will have a super long, both Uncanny and Wolverine run later. So we'll be very we'll get to be very familiar with him on the podcast. And in a not really not really ironic thing, in the last podcast episode, I referenced his comic book Wetworks. That's true, you did. Because I made a joke about Wetworks. <laughs> so there you no, go. No, 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 no. No, he did Cyberforce. Uh Partatio did Wetworks. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. Never yeah. Bummer. He did Cyberforce, which by the way, I just sold a huge lot of Cyberforce on eBay. <laughs> Did you really? It doesn't hold up. The art, the good. art is fine, but mm, no. I don't think any of those. I think Wildcats. Wildcats is, in my mind still sounds interesting. But I think it's more just that I'm so obsessed with Jim Lee. Right. Even if the story is terrible, <laughs> I'll still like it because it looks so awesome. Right. But even yeah, I don't. I don't know that any of those really hold up. Yeah, I don't know. But Cyberforce didn't. Sorry, Mark. Certainly didn't. Sorry. I, I love your art most of the time. Uh, he got he got a little. Uh, well, what's the what's the 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 level of porn between Hustler and Playboy? Like softcore porn. I guess, <laughs> like the middle phrase. I don't. Uh, I don't know. This is a very bizarre distinction to make. <laughs> he got very. Um, I don't know. Just. Super sexy. Okay. In his career. <laughs> just leave which, it which, sexual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just, especially like by the time he got to Witchblade, which I'm not I'm not crazy about all that stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a little too late for fourteen year old Jason to really love, yeah. so I may have better memories of it if I had been <laughs> more masturbatory, but um Yeah. But yeah, now you know, adult Jason doesn't really care for it. <laughs> yeah. Well I never so. thought that was a very interesting comic anyway. Yeah. 
But his stuff on X-Men and Wolverine is really cool. Fantastic. So, so that's that's a caveat. But enough about him. He only did a cover. <laughs> you didn't even do the interior art on that issue. <laughs> total, so, t- total tangent. Total tangent. So let's talk about Uncanny X-Men 211. Let's do it. What you got? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just looking at my computer screen like it's going to pop up automatically without me. Oh, you can't, you're, not, you're not mind-linked? I'm not mind-linked. Okay, so 211. Massacre. Massacre. We have Chris Claremont Ryder, John Romita Jr., and Brett Blevins as the artists. Mm. Al Williamson is the inker. And our old friend Tom Orzatowski is letterer and Glennis Oliver colorist. Who's also our old friend. I didn't mean that to sound like just Tom or Right. Yeah. Okay. What do we got on our cover? Cover here? is, I believe they did this on almost all the Marvel covers. Of that month. Of that yes. month. So they mm-hmm. have the, the border where it's got all the main heroes around it. And then in the middle, uh, it's a big, really cool picture of Wolverine. Yeah. Whose half of his mask is ripped off and his blades are drawn. And it's a... It's a pretty badass cover. Yeah, most of these covers. So, so this reminds me of like the border. of This reminds me of like if you went to like a summer camp and made a crafty like picture frame <laughs> with like ex, yeah. with like Marvel comic stickers on it. This is what you would come home with. Yeah, it's pretty cheesy. Yeah, but, I mean it's eighties, of course, but you know it's it's interesting too because most of these were almost exclusively headshots. Um, I don't know if you remember specifically the one that always pops to my mind. Snake Eyes. The Snake Eyes one, yeah. where he's, he's, he's mostly just his head, and you see him holding the Uzi to the side. Yeah. But like the Thor one, we'll talk about in a minute, and the X Factor are just like big heads. Yeah. And this one's a little more. I mean, it's, it's Wolverine. It's a headshot for sure, but it's, it's pulled back a little bit, and he's, he's popping his claw yeah. in there. So. So you can see the claw. Yeah. yeah. Get in there. Yeah, it's it's really good. The colors are good. I it like his it. teeth, blood coming out. Yeah, good stuff. It's, it is good stuff. Okay, so we open up with our first view of the Marauders. Yeah, they should have stayed in the shadows. They, <laughs> I'm gonna say that they 100 percent look like a group of middle aged drag queens. <laughs> Every one of them looks kind of like a woman with a masculine face. They all look androgynous. They all do look like that, and so. Yeah. Could easily be a basically a show team or like a I don't know what do you call that a, a band? What would you call that? Like a show? A no, like if you go to a place where they have dancers and it's like a a troupe, a troupe, I guess. Okay, of, of dancing. Let's go with that. We're gonna sing. Yeah, it's raining men. Well, no, I I thought on. Riptide was a woman until she's or he said I'm an old man. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought that uh, Scrambler was. A middle-aged woman until they say later it's a Korean teenager. <laughs> I don't know what it all looks about that either teenage or Korean. Right, right. About that, it looks like an old lady. Whatever. Um, but yeah, so they we open up with them. They announce that they are the Marauders. They kill mutants and they say who is next. And then they just start killing Morlocks. Yeah, left and right. And we have a a again, and I mentioned this the last couple of podcasts about X Men really taking a dark turn. And this continues that very dark path. Yes. Um, that I definitely am excited to go down <laughs> with. Go down uh, with the X Men. So they pull up some guns and they start blowing things up. They kind of have some stupid powers, I think, the Marauders, that is. But, you know, they start killing people like crazy. We have pretty long battle scenes. There's a random moment of a guy playing a flute that calls gators. 
thought that was awesome. He never comes back again. I don't even understand what that was. Was he a marauder? Was he a Morlock? No, he's a Morlock. He's a Piper. And he's calling for the Gators to defend the Morlock. Oh, Gators and Bats. Oh, which, and Bats. That's true. I mean, the only thing better than that would be a Bat Gator. Gator Bat. Gator Bat. Gator Bat. Uh, yeah, so I don't. But then they, you never see them again, so I don't know what. The, I guess oh, and you don't even get a really awesome panel of like the croc eating a marauder. Yeah, right. Like even some third string marauder, which I mean, they're all kind of third string, but <laughs> or even just a scene of a marauder punching a gator. I mean, yeah, something. If you're gonna show the gator, make them do something. Yeah, if you're gonna take a whole panel to show a guy playing a flute <laughs> with a bunch of gators crawling up, at least right. get some gator fighting. Yeah, weird. So, then we cut to the ranch where we have Wolverine, Colossus. They're basically telling Wolverine he needs to keep resting because he's not fully healed from his uh, battle with, with uh, Death Lock, Death Stroke, Death Strike. You got it. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I said it wrong on the last podcast, and so then I was like, don't say it wrong this time. <laughs> but then I psyched myself you out, and I couldn't remember which one it was. Yeah, that's Death right. Strike, yes. Which now I'm like, okay, the healing factor should have taken care wow. of this by this point. Yeah, because you know we we've, we've talked a lot on this show, especially in the flashback episode, or even in all the episodes, about kind of our preferences on how the healing factor works, and yeah. it changes a lot, even in the story arc, right. which we'll talk about that later. But um, but yeah, it, it seems like they're dragging this out a little too much. They're doing it because Claremont decided the plot needed it. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, everybody takes his healing really slowly in this these comics, but but yeah, when we, when we talked on the last episode about we preferring Wolverine's healing factor to be slower, but this is too slow, I right. would say, because then now it's barely even a healing factor. He's just healing almost normal, <laughs> slightly faster than the normal person. Um, anyway, so Kitty's getting a bunch of junk food out of the fridge and um, Magneto basically scolds her for her eating habits <laughs> and then um nightcrawler's trying to uh teleport but he's still not quite strong enough then suddenly a giant mole monster comes out of the ground where wolverine and nightcrawler are standing and begs to help the tunnels that everyone's getting murdered and they need help now and so the x-men decide to stand around for a while and talk about it <laughs> So here they are what with what looks like hours later where they've transported the giant body into the hospital. They've covered him up. They've inspected him. They're figuring out what's happened. They're talking about what should we do, which is all bizarrely slow for what's happening here. Right. No sense. No real sense of urgency here. Yeah. We introduce, although I don't think for the very first time, but they introduce Betsy Braddock, Psylocke. Yeah. So she showed up in a New Mutants annual, and this is her first okay. time in X-Men. First X-Men, X-Men right? Okay, yeah. That's what I thought, but I, I thought I'd remember her being somewhere before. So they introduced her as a telepath, and so she's basically the telepath now. I always got to have a telepath, I guess. Um, and so she goes into the mole man's mind and basically gets the idea that they're being murdered. And so she tells them, and Magneto makes a Holocaust reference, and they decide they do need to do something. And so finally, finally, Ilyana <laughs> teleports them. You say that like he had to play the Holocaust card. Like, <laughs> right. well, man, I don't know what you're doing. It's kind of like the Holocaust. Oh, well, I don't want to be part of the Holocaust. You Let's go. do that? Nazis are bad. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So Ilyana basically transports them to the tunnels. Yep. They find tons of dead bodies. 
uh, but also some survivors. And oh, there's a gator. Oh yeah, there is a gator. Upside down gator. I think he's dead. Yeah, they did come back at some point. (laughs) That's the fight we wanted to see. Yeah, we missed it. It's okay. Um, And so they are horrified very quickly. Then Vertigo strikes, starts swirling them around. Riptide shows up, starts throwing sharp things at them, and now we have X-Men versus Marauders. Oh, yeah. Um, Nightcrawler does his best to disorient Vertigo, effectively, or Riptide. Vertigo. Vertigo. Both. Uh, Vertigo, mostly. Yeah. Oh, he kicks Riptide in the face, and then he grabs Vertigo and and teleports her a bunch. Yeah, but then Riptide comes back and tornadoes him. Yeah, they look so stupid, it's hard to tell the difference between the two. Yeah, and so the fight continues. Eventually, they the, the Marauders kind of leave, and Ileana takes some of the, the most dangerously wounded, including Nightcrawler, who almost dies again, back to the X-Mansion. They continue to look for uh, the Marauders. The Marauders show up again uh, with an old lady protecting a bunch of little little kids, and he blasts away anyway. And then... Arc Arc Light, is that her name? Yes. Arc Light, not the theater, but isn't that a theater? I think so. Yeah. All right. She picks up some, or she uh, says, "Oh, I thought we were going to have a challenge here," and then immediately Colossus bursts out of the ground, which I thought was pretty awesome. Right. He's like, "Yay, X Men!" Yeah, and then she's excited to fight the X Men, Um, and then the who's the guy with the gun, the Marauder? Oh, um, the silver guy with the mustache. Yeah. It's well, leaving me. Whoever he is, uh, he tries to shoot Kitty, but obviously she phases, and so. But then they disappear, and we have this weird moment where Katie says, "I could take you and drop you in the ground to maim you or kill you, but I'm going to go help Colossus." It's like, but you could have done that in the time that you spent explaining it to him what you could have done, and then gone and helped Colossus <laughs> at the same time. But then she has a thought bubble about how she's just talking to us, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, so we go back to the X-Men. They're searching. Uh, they then see a optic blast from Cyclops and realize that the X, that X-Factor is down there too. Uh, but they don't know why. Right. Wall collapses, so they can't get to X-Factor, so they don't get the, to follow up on the that. The most common theme in this event is collapsing tunnels. Yeah, collapse. Which, if you live in the tunnels, it's going to happen. Yeah, we do. We didn't mention this in the last episode. We should also set up that they're going to great lengths to kind of show the confusion the X Men have about what X Factor is doing. Okay, because X Factor, and I, I think you've mentioned this before. But yeah, right. The, so oh. X Factor is a kind of shell corporation, I guess. Yeah, uh, that haunts mutants. Right, but secretly, they're the mutants. They're incarcerating. They're taking back to their base to try to. Kind of do kind of like the Xavier School, but at this big X Factor HQ. More secretly. And X Factor is really, though, also posing as the exterminators who are mutant rebel fighters who fight X Factor, oddly enough. Interesting. <laughs> so they're at odds in, in the media. And so, and they'll, they'll definitely be kind of a big reveal that will change their course uh, that comes up in the story. We'll talk about that later. Okay. But yeah, so the X-Men are trying to figure this all out. Well, I mean, because they know who X-Factor is. I mean, they recognize the power. Or at least they know who the exterminators are. Yeah, they know who it is. They just don't know. Right, have they betrayed the dream? They don't understand what they're doing, yeah. 
So which it, it's it's interesting. And in the last I meant to mention that in the last issue because um, Magneto Magneto um, when he's de- thinking about joining the White when Hellfire Club brings him there, we have an interesting moment where Magneto looks at Scott oh, yes, and yes, is yes, like, yes. "Hey, they're betraying mutants. What are they doing?" But X Factor is looking at Magneto and saying, "Oh, villain." Just being a villain, yeah. Joining forces with the Hellfire, with Club. The Hellfire Club, and so showing his true stripes. Yeah, it's a great uh, misunderstanding moment. A classic, comical misunderstanding. Classic. <laughs> okay, so back to the fight. We continue yeah. the war, the fight between Marauders and X Men. Uh, lots more panels of fighting. A lot of pretty cool stuff. Finally, we get to a pretty interesting and crazy moment in which Colossus gets so angry. Everyone is getting so angry because of all the deaths and being overwhelmed with the violence that Colossus actually grabs Riptides by the throat and breaks his neck. Pretty hardcore. And so we have this actual X-Men killing. Yeah. Of a, of a villain. Yeah. Now, now keep in mind our, psycho, our resident psychopath Wolverine any on on panel killings he's had have been undone. <laughs> yes. So, so Colossus actually technically has a higher on screen body count than Wolverine. Yeah, that's true. And then Colossus calls on Wolver our harpoon, and then the the rest of the martyrs basically disappear once once one of them gets killed, they take off. Right. Um, and then so we have some recovery, Rogue and Storm talking about what to do next. Right. And in the very last panel, we have. Although I don't like the art, but it's a zoom in of Storm's face. Yeah, specifically her eyes and her determined eyes. Yeah, which looks like a cat. But yeah, I don't know why they do that to her. I don't either. But. It's very strange. Uh, but she makes the point where she tells Wolverine, basically, I want you to go get a marauder to interrogate and then kill the rest of them if you want. Right. Well, in the line she says, one prisoner... <laughs> I'm sorry. One prisoner is sufficient. <laughs> The remaining marauders are yours. You <laughs> sound like a like a robot, like a computer program. <laughs> Welcome to the tower. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. I, I do want to point out one plot point that'll kind of play up later. So there's this guy Harpoon who's doing a lot of the killing. He's a marauder and he looks dumb, but he has he has these spears that he actually keeps in a quiver. Yeah. And he pulls them out, and he, he puts his energy in them. Yeah. And when he throws them, they basically kill anybody. Yeah. No matter what. No matter what. Except for Wolverine. Except for Wolverine. <laughs> but when he throws one at Rogue, Kitty phases and disrupts it. But as it goes through her, it messes her up, and she cannot unphase. Which, there's all kinds of problems with that, like how she can stay above ground and not just float to the center of the world right. or into space. <laughs> right. But she still can maintain gravity, but she can't become solid. Right. However that works, I don't know, but that's what yeah. it is. But that will definitely kind of play through the rest of the story. I forgot, though. I was thinking they said that in the next comic. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That's right. They said it right at the tail end yeah. here. They talk about We also end with a visual reading chart that is as convoluted as I made the really simple <laughs> reading chart sound when I met, flubbed it all up. Yeah. But this is like... And it's, it's kind of cool because it's, it's connected in a flow chart with like sewer pipes, like for the yeah. Morlock tunnels. It looks cool. It looks cool, but it's really hard to understand. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Unless they're just saying, just read all these at the same time. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so uh, going back to Wolverine, uh, when he cuts up his pitchfork, there's a really cool quote about him that the, the narrator says, He's a born fighter. 
one of the deadliest men on earth, and consequently a rotten patient. <laughs> I thought that was a cool line. Yeah, I thought that was a cool line. Um, too. I they, they noticed that they mentioned, and I just mentioned this because we talked about the claws, metal claws versus bone claws thing last time, I think, or maybe that was the time before. They say, they, they specify in here, bionic housings implanted in his arms. The blades come from there. Right. Which again, yeah. doesn't really, you can go either way with it, I think, retcon-wise, but yeah. I thought it was interesting, which is not the first time they said that. Yeah, definitely. And that, that was only going to come up more and more until we get through the end of the 80s. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Brett Blevins, a New Mutant alumni, kind of a cartoony artist. Yeah. Uh, this part in the kitchen where uh, Magneto tries to diet shame Kitty. Yeah. Uh, there's a part where he, he uses his magnetic powers to pull a six-pack of sodas away from Kitty. But instead of being a magnet bubble, it looks like a speech bubble. And I thought Blevins was just doing like some cartoony shit where he was like, Magneto was like, instead of saying Coke or whatever, he just said, and there was a picture of Coke cans. That's what I thought was happening, too. Yeah. I didn't, until you just said that, I didn't yeah. get that he actually took it away from her. Right. That's weird. I thought that was, that was weird. That's a um, way to draw that. I like, uh, Wolverine, we get some more Wolverine Nightcrawler bonding, mm-hmm. where they're both kind of like, oh, we're, we're too out of it for this. Right. Let's go get some beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was cool. We already talked about this is the first time we see Psylocke. I'm just going to go on record. Uh, she kind of is going to fill the same role as the missing Rachel. Yeah. And I, as a character, prefer Psylocke to Rachel overall. I do too. There are different times in each character's history where that isn't true. Like, at any given point, maybe Rachel's better than Psylocke. But overall, I like Psylocke better. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I, I'm not crazy about Psylocke in the early versions of her, though. But I haven't read a lot of it, and so maybe, right. I'll, maybe I'll change my mind about that. I've always thought of Psylocke as being a lot better later right. than earlier, but again, I haven't. Now I'm just now reading a lot of some of these older ones, and so maybe I'll change my mind about that. Yeah, but we'll see. And so far, she's a, she's not a very two dimensional character, so we'll see. Or um, she is a two dimensional character. Yes, three dimensional character. Right. I also like kind of the argument and the logic between Magneto and Storm. The storm's like the X-Men don't go, the new mutants stay here. Magneto, you're in charge of them, right? Stay with them, protect the school. Yeah, we'll go out, save the Morlocks, you protect the school. I thought that was pretty cool, nice strategy. And I like the fact that Magneto wants to do something though. That talking yes. about you know, every fiber of his being wants to get in there and do something to save people, which I like. Again, we're getting in the which well, he's always been one that well, you know, now we're really getting into the where they're really humanizing Magneto and they're really showing his motivation so even right. when he becomes a bad guy again it's still kind of based around this idea of wanting to protect mutants yes and less about just wanting to be a villain to rule the world yeah I thought there was an interesting vegan plug in the middle here did you catch that yeah. Ileana says my cousin Kenny in Chicago works in a slaughterhouse he took me uh-huh. on a tour once it smelled like this I thought that was an interesting, uh, hey, eating animals is the same as murdering people. Which is not really what they're saying, but I just thought it right. was, uh, you always, you, I don't know how many vegans people know on the podcast, but most, a lot of times I meet people who, who had some experience like that. Yeah. And so it to makes them, I'm not, or a vegetarian or a vegan or something. Right. And so I thought that was an interesting thing for her to throw in there. I don't know if Chris Claremont's a, ve- a vegetarian. I have no idea. I have no so, idea. But it was an interesting, yeah. Uh, comparison to make 
Yeah. Oh, we did miss on page two that uh, I wanted to point out that Riptide is a Jay-Z fan. He goes, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm sorry. He, I keep saying she. He, Riptide, this old man. Yeah, I thought that was a Rolling Stones reference. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah the, please allow me to introduce myself with, oh, all, the, with all the bongos. Yeah. <laughs> I think he says skills and grace. I think that's... Oh, yeah, you're this right. This is the reference to that. Yes. The devil. What is it? The uh, devil know. has a hard time or something? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever that stone song is. <laughs> so, I mean, it's for the... It's the song, songs. Yeah. That's all I'm called. I don't know. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's one that has Thomas the Train in the whole background, the whole, the whole song. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right, so back to X-Men. I really like uh, Wolverine pops his claws and blocks the uh, throwing stars from yeah. Riptide. And the last panel on page 11 looks really cool. It's Nightcrawler kind of teleporting in to kick Riptide in the face, mm-hmm. but he doesn't show his whole body. Yeah. Uh, he's in mid-teleport. It's a really nice panel. Yeah, I agree. I, just, I liked how pissed Wolverine got. After the first fight, yeah, and he starts kind of seeing the body count. And he gets super pissed. I like that. I like that. I like how Rogue's complaining about her outfit. She was like, "Well, I'm not hurt by this, but my outfit's getting ruined." <laughs> and I just bought it with and all those clothes. Shopping spree. Yeah, it's like they're trying to to make her a less complex character. <laughs> right. It's like you know what? She's not Valley Girl enough. Let's make her talk about clothes for the next couple of issues. Right. Uh, Scalp Hunter is his name. Scalp Hunter, the lead, right. the lead drag queen, and I really like the panel where he puts his big gun up to sh- uh, Shadow Cat's head and pulls the trigger, and she just phases, and he's like, "Huh?" Yeah, that was pretty good. What? Okay, so really interesting kind of tidbit here. Oh, here's one other thing. Throw in there real quick. Okay. Or no, you may be. This may be what you're gonna say, but probably not. Um, how do they know that these guys are called the Marauders? Uh, this whole storyline, everybody knows. Because the Marauders new, announce it at, to the Morlocks. To the Morlocks. Mm-hmm. But then here they say, they call them the Marauders. Yeah. And unless, I guess maybe the Morlocks told them. I guess Well, they could have been in that panel with the upside down gator where they won't really see the conversation as much. Yeah, I guess that's true. They might have said something about it. Yeah. But no, but every new hero who enters into this story automatically knows they're calling the Marauders. It's really kind of infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, so there's, I don't remember exactly, I forgot, I wrote down page 17, which is where it starts, and it, it, there's some more to it later. But um, Wolverine smells X-Factor, because they all have stinky farts. <laughs> um, and, um, it's the insoles they wear. Yeah. And he recognizes another scent. And like, no, it can't be. No, it can't be. <laughs> um, spoiler alert: It's Jean. Yeah, Jean Grey. Yeah, so he's very conflicted about about Jean Grey. And there's another part. Li- See, I don't, I don't know why I wrote this down. Now I'm kind of pissed because <laughs> I wrote down Wolverine smells Jean. Spoiler alert. So I think do- that's in the next issue, though. They never say Gene for sure. Right, right. But he, but he's in the next issue is when no, he specifies. But he says down here in one room, this is crazy. I'm crazy. It can't be. Oh, that's true. I guess. But then in the next one, too. he says a scene I'm or a smell I know as yeah, well as a I female know my, smell. Right. I, I know as well as myself. So, so they're building up to the reveal right. that Wolverine is going to find out that Gene's still alive. Yeah. Well, for some reason, I had a question: Do clones smell different? Oh, that's what it is. So why? 
Would the Dark Phoenix eat Dark Phoenix jeans? Oh, that's a whole different question. So, did Dark Phoenix jeans smell like original jean? Yeah. Do they smell the same? And also, what does Madeline Pryor smell like? Yeah. I I mean, she's genetically the same. So, barring shampoo and toothpaste and perfume and, like, product smells. What you eat. Yeah, what you eat. How much she sweat that but, day. But, I mean, Wolverine's basically IDing them. Right. So there's some kind of, like, genetic scent, smell. Scent and profile. I'm assuming you know. I mean, I'm assuming with your family, you kind of the same, like... We have no scent at all. You have no scent? Okay. <laughs> well, Ethan and Denise both have a very specific scent. And it's great. But I can, like, when I get close to them, I, I can recognize it. Like, I know... Are you trying it. to say that you're Wolverine? Yes, I am Wolverine. <laughs> This, this podcast is the reveal where Jason says, Here it I is! Wolverine. Snick, stab, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so, so why would he but just yes, assume is Gene and not Madeline? This is a good point. Because on a genetic level, shouldn't they smell the same? I don't know if smell is genetic. Okay. As much as it's situational, it's environmental. And so okay. I think there are people who your smell develops over time. And so it, it stays similar, so you can get a scent profile from someone. Okay. But it, I think it has more to do with like what you've grown up eating, what you continue to eat, the clothes you wear, the area you live in. It's a synthetic. So the idea that Madeline Pryor being a, would have a there might be some similarities there, like you know how much they sweat and those kind of really specific. Wait, is, is, is this an episode of Clone Science? <laughs> I think so. Do 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 do. Clone science. <laughs> um, so I would assume, right, that the idea is that she would then maybe have some similarities, right, but have an overall different smell. Okay. Well, that would explain too when she showed up, when everyone yeah. was like, "Oh my goodness, they look the same." That Wolverine didn't go, kind of smell the same too. Yeah, but didn't he say something? Maybe did he? I can't remember. I now. think he may have mentioned something about her being familiar. Right, having a familiar scent, but not enough okay. to make the difference. But then, yeah, um, then the also to parallel with that question or to piggyback with that question, dark phoenix gene versus out of the cocoon gene. Right, would they have a different smell? I'm going to smell out of cocoon gene from under the water. Have a saltier smell? I would guess you'd have some kind of cocoony smell. <laughs> right, dark phoenix has smells got some like a butterfly smell, just like my farts. It smells like butterflies. It does. Yeah, clovers. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So I don't so, know. It's <laughs> anyway, just the things that my mind thinks of. Yeah, it's yeah. a. Good, I think it's a good question. It's an interesting, interesting thought. We'll have to get a dog on. Don't tell But next time you're home, you get have Max. See what see what Max says about smell. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> I think his answer is going to be. Oof. <laughs> And he's going to roll over on his back and make me scratch his belly. All right, so then we get a nice fight between uh, Wolverine and Harpoon. Good times. Yeah. Wolverine's claws draw first blood. Both men fall. Only one screams. Neither dies. I'm assuming Wolverine doesn't scream. I would, yeah. That Harpoon's like, Yeah. Well, I think the idea is Wolverine is stopping the Harpoon and stabbing. Yeah. So pretty badass. the guy who's screaming or the girl who's screaming? We don't really know. Right. <laughs> well, Harpoon has a breast exposed, so I'm assuming he's a dude. Well, my, I guess my argument <laughs> is that these are all men. Oh, they're true, just true, 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 true. Right, so they're right. men dressed like women. Yeah. 
So then scramble her, scramble her eggs, <laughs> tries to scramble Storm, but of course she's already powerless. But so instead she, she's sunny side up. Then <laughs> <laughs> we get a nice sock that she hits Scrambler in the face. And he falls down over easy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, the, the point of that was I just I always love badass storm with no powers. I do too. It's really hard boiled. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. No more egg puns. Oh man, you're such an egghead. <laughs> wah 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 wah. Um. So art overall, what do you think? Uh, I didn't care for it this issue. Um, I don't know what the specific combination. Of Ramita and Blevins was, and then we have a new inker as well. But I, this art is substandard. I agree. Um, there are a few moments. There are a few moments. The panel after Colossus breaks Riptide's neck and it goes to all red and black shadow is a nice good. panel. Um, the stuff with Wolverine and the cowboy hat and Magneto and, and Kitty in the school is, is pretty. I thought that was pretty well done. And that looks specifically John Ramita <coughs> to me. Yeah, as I, well. I, I was, well, was about to say that. Um, but then we, when we get into the fight scene, every, the faces seem to get elongated. We've already complained about the Marauders. But it, it's weird. There's a couple of really good panels. This I think this one of Wolverine shouting is really good. Yeah, it's not bad. It's, I, I think the, the clear... There may be some uh, mixing beforehand. But by page 10 on, we're definitely straight into Brett Blevins. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think so. I, I, it, this one looks like there's a transition. Yeah. And I... He's not awful. He just, oh, first of all, is the tone, his kind of cartoony art, which is fine in general, doesn't really fit this story. I agree. Um, so serious, this this story is too dark for this kind of for, for the kind of art he's doing. Right. And the Marauders look so terrible that it adds to the fact that their concept is bad and they're kind of drawn in a dumb way. <laughs> right. And so it, it. I don't know if. I don't know if that's what if someone else. I don't know. I, I don't know why you would draw anybody to look like those things. I those don't guys. either. Eighties. I mean, Eighties, I, I guess. But it, I don't. It doesn't even look cool for the eighties. No, it doesn't. Yeah, which is too bad. They were so like menacing, and and they're still they still are. I mean, they're killing people left and right. Oh yeah. So I mean, there's the violence aspect and the power. Uh, I don't I don't dislike their powers as much as you do. I don't think, but they definitely look dumb. I would say the story is fine. Um, it's pretty intense and pretty tense as yeah. you read through it. Um, so how much is the art going to take away for you? I don't know because I, I do really like the story. I did too. I thought it really flowed well. It's really well paced and constructed. And Yeah, I, I flip-flop between a four and a five. Yeah, I, I'm going to go five. I, I, I would almost go to six. Okay. But again, the the Marauders to me look so terrible, <laughs> and a lot of the other weird panels. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say five. Okay. Well then I'll, I'll rise up to meet you. I'll go five out of six claws as well. Right. For Uncanny X Men, two eleven. Two one 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 to two one one. <laughs> All right. So next up, we're gonna do a tie-in. With X Factor number 10. So, X Factor number 10 is written by Louise Simonson, sometimes affectionately known as Wheezy. Uh, Walter Simonson is the penciler. 
Bob Wyacek is the inker. Joe Rosen is the letterer. Petrus Gotiz is the colorist. And this kicks off a pretty nice little era of uh, Simonson and Simonson. <laughs> Almost a <laughs> P.I. pair on X Factor, which is, is pretty nice. On the cover of number 10 is also by Walt Simonson, and it's our Marvel picture frame cover. And it's just a really cool headshot of Cyclops. Yeah, it's a good cover. I really like the inside of his visor with the, the optic blast kind of warming up or whatever. Yeah, I agree. It's nice. All right, so Sabretooth is in this issue. So we'll talk about it just briefly. So the Marauders, suddenly joined by Sabretooth, <laughs> continue to massacre the Morlocks. Uh, part of X-Factor, Cyclops, Beast, and Iceman continue to search the tunnels for Artie when they stumble upon the massacre. Above ground, Freedom Force leak that Angel backs X-Factor to the news. And that's kind of the change that's going to come in X-Factor, that their, their cover gets blown. Right. So, uh, a lot of tunnel fights. X-Factor is on the ropes until reinforcements arrive via Gene and Angel. Gene takes the injured X-Factorers home while Angel continues to hunt for Artie, who is hiding from Sabretooth. Angel finds Artie, but is stopped by some marauders. He sends Artie to safety while he confronts the bad guys. Blockbuster breaks his wings and Harpoon pins him to the wall by the wings, like almost like Angel Crucifixion style. And they move in to kill him to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. So besides Sabretooth, there's obviously kind of what's going to turn into a huge story for Angel uh, that starts here. Right. Um, so uh, it's weird because if you remember from the last flashback episode, talking about Sabretooth, the last time we saw him, he was in a hospital surrounded by police. Yeah. And now he's guns at him. suddenly in the Marauders. Not only that, but he wasn't in the previous chapters with the Marauders. He's just kind of suddenly here. No one says anything. He's a He's Marauders just, single agent. I yeah. Think. And just we open up, and there he is jumping off the wall. <laughs> All right. So he's in, he's in on the action. So I guess he uh, got out of the hospital and found some new friends. I guess so. I have some more thoughts on that later that I'll talk about. But um, okay. uh, first mention, I believe, you correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first mention of Sabretooth's healing factor. Do they mention in here? Yes. Okay. Because they don't... They, Before we knew he was a mutant, right? Right, right. From early on. But we didn't know about the healing factor. Yeah, we just, we just had heightened senses. I was just going to say, in the next X-Men, Sabretooth makes a joke about Wolverine's healing factor. Yes. But yeah, so I, I didn't realize that they had mentioned it in this X-Factor. Yeah. We also get, uh, on a kind of mostly unrelated story, that's just going to kind of be in the background of... The X-Factor chapters only. Mm-hmm. Apocalypse recruits his first horseman. Oh, wow. So that's interesting. And then again, down later in the comic on page 18, we re-emphasize, I guess since it's a new concept, uh, in bold letters, Sabretooth's Healing Factor again. So they really want to hit it home that if you didn't know it about this guy, he has a Healing Factor. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Um, so I'm a Simonson fan, so I thought the art was pretty great. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um... As far as the story, there's some kooky X-Factor drama that makes this very tonally different from the Uncanny side. Right. And it's just a little goofier. Hmm. Um, but it's also the artist then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Blevins should have done this and Simonson should have done the Uncanny stuff. Yeah. That would have been pretty badass. Yeah. Um, 
But there's still uh, there's still dark moments too. Um, there's still death and stuff. It just yeah. you see how all the stuff like angels like oh I'm in love with Jean but I don't want to betray my girlfriend or Scott. And Scott's like oh Jean's over me but she should be. So I didn't tell her about all this stuff and maybe she should just be with Warren. And there's, so there's all this kind of like weird melodrama. Well, they won't they drama. Yeah. Love triangle. Yeah. But yeah, but there's still the dark moments, and Sabretooth is pretty cool in this issue. That's um, good. This is his first kind of entry into the X universe proper, and so it's a nice, nice little entrance. And of course, and I'll, I'll flip back here for Cameron. These images of Angel being crucified on the wall are pretty damn iconic. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, Even so, the Marauders look way cooler in here. They do, I don't mean, they? They still don't look cool. No, well, but his <laughs> Harpoon looks like He Man. He does. He does. Which is way better than the. Yeah, know. and the blockbuster guy. I mean, he's just a big, bald Hulk guy, but he still looks yeah. pretty cool. And, still cooler. Yeah. Hmm. But Simons is just a better artist. Yeah. So. On a on a side note, what's what's Madeline Pryor up to, in X Factor at this point? Um. Because she's still there, right? Well, no, no. So Cyclops left her and the baby in Alaska. Without saying where he was going, he got a phone call from Warren. The War Angel called and said, "Hey, Gene's alive." Scott hangs up the phone, says, "I gotta go," <laughs> and abandons his family. Uh, Mid any Cyclops is a complete dick. Did you talked about this on a podcast? Yes, okay. I did. I, yeah. so I remember hearing you say this. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, but hold on. So, so then, then he, a, little, a couple issues before number ten, he starts to get a little bit of a conscience. And he calls home, but the number's been disconnected. And as the reader, we see a shot of the house and it's empty. Madeline has taken the baby. She's left. So we don't know where she is right now. Okay. Okay. So I am I was confused in X-Men 210, but now that I reread it, I get it's, it's deliberately unclear because of this fact. Because when Magneto's, Magneto sees X-Factor, yes. he sees Jean Grey... Yeah. But assume she's dead, so he says... Oh, what's oh, Madeline that, doing That there? woman must be Cyclops' wife, Madeline Pryor. Right. I got it. Yeah. And so the moment I, I... When I first read that, I just assumed she was there. And so I thought, are they both around at this moment? And I didn't really right. think so. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So uh, before we before I give my grade, obviously, you, know, you don't have to grade this one. But um, what are your overall thoughts of Sabretooth just kind of showing up out of the blue here? I don't have a problem with it. Only because I really like Sabretooth and the and adding him to the Marauders because he is such a violent psychopath and they are too. I think it right. fits perfectly. It does, and we'll get a little a little tiny bit of explanation later. Yeah. So I'm glad but, they brought him in. It doesn't make a lot of sense that just suddenly he's part of this team too. Right. But well, I'm wondering whose call it was because obviously Claremont takes this and immediately runs with it. Yeah. Um. In the in the last. Two big uncanny chapters is very Sabretooth focused. Right. But he wasn't shown in the Marauders at all in the first part of the story. Yeah. So it's almost like Louise Simonson's like, oh, let's throw Sabretooth in. And Claremont's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if, if they all decided they wanted him to be part of it, but Claremont wanted, because he wanted to do a whole Wolverine versus Sabretooth thing. Right. He felt like if you had Sabretooth in that, in 211, he's oh, too true. big of a character. Right. To not make a whole big deal out of that, and, okay. and so he wanted to set all this up first. And the idea is the that X Factor is somewhere else fighting someone else at this time. 
Right. And so I guess theoretically you could, the idea is that Sabretooth was there. He was just on the X Factor side fighting. Right. And then, so the other Marauders are somehow moving back and forth. But, because that, the bald dude w- wasn't in X Men 2. No, time. he wasn't either. So there's, uh, yeah. So, so we have several other Marauders. Right. At least two who are brought in. No, that, that part is, is less troublesome to me than the fact that this just doesn't really jive with where we last saw Sabretooth. True. And it, began, and it hasn't been very long. It's not like this right. is like six months later. No. Well, we don't know in, in well, the story I mean, like, time. I mean, in, but in readership time. Yeah, and publication-wise, like it's right around the corner. Yeah, and so it's um, like he immediately got out of prison, got out of the hospital. Right. Or I guess the argument, maybe the Marauders broke him out. I don't know. Possible. And I, like I said, I have some, some kind of fan fiction ideas on that later. <laughs> but there is kind of an inferred, like, that he's part of the team. Yeah. And that, that to me... Is is the hardest part to yeah. reconcile, but I do I have some theories that we'll get to okay. either later this episode or the next one, I depending on, wait to hear on where we stop. But I thought the art was, like I said, great. Story's pretty great. I'm going to give X Factor number ten five out of six claws. Nice. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to cover a couple more tie-ins. really abrupt it is but we're back we're back (laughs) we're going to talk about a couple more tie-ins in the order we have new mutants number 46 which features nobody really nobody (laughs) but just a couple of of talking points first of all we have an abnormally terrible barry windsor smith cover which compared to the covers that we've had and will have from him makes no sense but it's just really not good i don't think it is not good no So the highlights, there is there is a picture of an awesome giant death over the mansion. It's like a big like Norse god of death thing. Yeah. Um, for no reason at all, magic teleports Moira to Limbo naked because she grabs her out of the shower. X-Men return home to open the mansion as a sanctuary for the Morlocks. That's kind of the biggest plot point. Yeah. Then they go home with the survivors from the tunnel and basically make the mansion like this is like more like central, like recovery, relief, whatever. Everything is going down at, at the school. Yeah, well, and they say that in two eleven. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That they're they're bringing the the survivors back. So the new mutants, they're part of the issue. They help Moira set up a makeshift hospital for the wounded at the school. And uh, as the new mutants head to their next story, Warlock transforms into the Inspector Gadget car. Nice. That's really all you need to know. <laughs> uh, moving on. Oh, and thank you to my friend Andrew for letting me borrow that issue. I did not have it. So Andrew Autry has been on the show before, and so big props to uh, to let me let me borrow that very terrible issue. He's the new X Men expert, so the new, I mutants? Mean the new mutants. Expert. Yes, he is our new mutants expert. But that one didn't make me want to read the series, Andrew. Got to tell you, no, Even nothing we have done on the flashbacks <laughs> or you've done with other people in the flashbacks has made me think. I wish I'd go, go back and read the mutants. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Now, when Cable shows up and starts doing stuff, maybe. Maybe so. I might, I might be more interested then, but up yeah. to this point still. Like I said, I'm going to go check out some of that Magneto White King stuff. That sounds cool. That's true. Conceptually, so, anyway, that sounds yeah. really cool. All right, so moving on, Sabretooth actually shows up in the Mighty Thor 373. Actually, to be specific, Sabretooth's hand shows up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let me let me show Cameron the panel here real fast. Let me find it. 
I'm reading the book. There's more to it than just his hand, right? Because it was listed on the little flowchart. Yep, there's his hand grabbing Thor's beard. Oh, there you go. That's it. Right. Weird. <laughs> yeah, but this is The Gift of Death. It is written by Walter Simonson, with art by Sal Buscema, letters by John Workman, colors by Max Scheel. And the cover is Simonson, again with a Marvel picture frame. But we have Thor kind of in shadow with his big beard and long hair and his puffy chest and his awesome helmet. I, I will admit, prior to the movies, never really cared a whole lot for Thor, but this is a pretty badass looking cover. Yeah, it is pretty cool looking. He looks pretty great. He looks very, like, violent Viking look. Yeah. Rather than his normal kind goofy. of... Goofy. Yeah. yeah, goofy <laughs> god look. This is more like, you know, yeah. something from the show Viking. And from it's, what I hear... It's the beard. The other beard nerd, makes a difference. Yeah, the beard does make a difference. But other nerds talk about the Simonson run on Thor as stuff of a legend. Oh, okay. So maybe we're hitting a good point. We'll see. But basically in this story... Thor returns to Midgard to look for his dad. Odin is missing. I don't know the story or why, but if you like Thor, maybe you probably already know that. Um, He finds an old friend and stays with him and his family. He then takes their kids to the zoo. And, no, I'm not making this up. Some frogs tell Thor about the mutant massacre. All right. Uh, Is that a thing that Thor... Can talk to animals? I think they're mythical frogs, but I'm not sure. They okay. look like regular frogs, but he has names for them. Oh. And they tell him what's going on. So, I don't right. know. I have no idea. Anyway, Thor, being defender of the cosmos and a fighter for justice, goes underground to investigate, and he finds the marauders just as they're about to finish off Angel, but he disperses them because, you know, he's Thor and he has a big hammer and he's a god of, of thunder. Course. So he thus saves the broken angel. So the art's pretty good. The story's kind of silly, but it's not terrible. I'm going to give Thor 373, three out of six claws. All right, fair enough. All right, well, um, you want to take a break here and kind of wrap up what we've talked about, and then we'll do the rest next time? Sounds good. All right. So we're going to take a break here, split the episode in half. I think there's enough goodness and coolness and Mutant Massacre to justify two episodes. I think so too. And um, and we're roughly halfway through the story. And getting kind of hungry. Yeah, yeah. Factors into this as well. Right. <laughs> we're doing, doing, you've heard of, uh, if you ever watch the show, My Name is Earl, and it was a day hooker. Yeah. Well, we're doing some day podcasting for a change Day potting. Yeah. Cameron, as a professor, is... I know for all you uh, college listeners or listeners who went to college, which not everybody does, and that's fine. Uh, that sounded, <laughs> damn it, that sounded super. <laughs> that was so patronizing. <laughs> I did not mean that. Me. No, I just <laughs> college is not for everybody. And contrary, <laughs> uh, uh, the hole is getting deeper. Get deeper. this man a shovel so he can dig it. Damn it! Oh. Uh, Anyway, okay, rewind. As a college student, <laughs> when you become an upperclassman, you learn very intelligently to quit taking Friday classes the yes. best you can. Most colleges actually don't even offer Friday classes anymore. Really? Oh man. Well, there are college, there are Friday classes. Well, back. I, I really don't know the colleges I've gone to. Okay. UNT has Friday classes. Well, then I embarrass myself for nothing. I was going to make a joke 
that as a professor, you are now in the upperclassmen stage of your career <laughs> and don't have Friday classes that you teach. Well, that is true that when I was an adjunct, <clears throat> I taught at some schools that had Friday classes. And so I, as I got more experience, I stopped teaching those. And yes. Would only teach today. But Brookhaven only has Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday. So. Yes. And I am in the awkward situation <laughs> where I did not take enough vacation time this year. And I am uh, doing a use it or lose it day off. Yeah. I, have, I have to take a certain number of days off if I want to uh, keep my my holiday pay, my vacation pay. Yeah. Otherwise, I, I lose it. <laughs> Jason is such a hard worker. He doesn't uh, like to take off vacation. No, I just lost track. Of, this year <laughs> flew by, man. But anyway... All that to say, we're recording during the day, and it's, yep. it's about lunchtime. It is lunchtime. So we're going to wrap up there. Um, I did want to point out, you know, last episode we did Wolverine Year 12 Part 2, and that was mostly accurate, but actually our first issue of this story, uh, issue 210, was of Uncanny X-Men, was the true anniversary of Wolverine's 12th year. Oh, very nice. So, that's, hey, what a way to have a birthday to kick off. A pretty good story, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, if you're Wolverine, what else do you want for your birthday but a massacre? You want to go fight some bad guys. Yeah. So there's some really cool stuff coming in the second half of the story. And some really important stuff to Wolverine. Yeah. That comes in the second half of the story. So instead of making this like a four-hour podcast, besides it being lunchtime, this just felt like a natural park to start. I mean... This felt like a natural place to stop because when we kick in the second half of this, things really ramp up, especially from a Wolverine perspective. Yeah. So, we hope you enjoyed the first half of Mutant Massacre. I, I would say we enjoyed it overall. Yeah, it's a great we, story. We had pretty high grades for the most part. I would say it's up there with some of the really great stories yeah, of this era. Yeah, I agree, too. Okay, well, so we'll see you next time for Mutant Massacre Part 2. Um, I don't know if there'll be a regular episode between or not. We'll kind of see how, how schedules work out. But, um, yeah, Cameron, what do you want to plug? Um, you know, the same stuff. At Cameron Sinclair, you can follow me. History Banter Podcast. Maybe I'll pay GoDaddy and get that site up sometime <laughs> soon. <laughs> yes. All right, well, uh, for me, all the same usual stuff. Apparently, the email does work. There you so go. It's nickcast at yahoo.com. So you can try that out. The floodgates have opened. They friend. are. I, I, let's, let's get some more emails. <laughs> I'll get us a mailbag sign, uh, yeah. sound. We can start doing There you go. And of course, um, like the Facebook page, Twitter is at snickcast. And show notes and stuff are on the website at snickcast.podbean.com. And so, until next time, hugs and snicks, everyone. See Bye. You.